Live streaming is on. Wow. All right. We are live. Live on Monero Talk with Harry Halpin. Harry is the CEO of NIM Technologies. Uh, it's a company that's making decentralized, incentivized mixed net uh, technology. He formerly worked on standards around cryptography and decentralized social media at W3C, uh, which is a topic we should probably talk about today, given uh, Jack Dorsey's recent tweets. So we can talk about that a little bit. Oh, definitely. Um, and uh, what else? Harry used to work or do research, I guess, at MIT, uh, where I believe he worked alongside Tim Berners-Lee. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I used to be the uh, person that handled the cryptography API in the browser that ran in JavaScript. Very cool. And I'm sure there's many other things I didn't mention. Uh, I don't know if there's anything well, else you want to mention. In no, it's, it's, it's very yeah. accurate. So We so actually met at Magical Crypto Conference. I don't know if you remember, you came on very briefly uh, on the show, on uh, Monero Talk, uh, live at the Magical Crypto Conference last year. Um, and we you, you briefly discussed uh, NIM. Um, and I recently saw your last, I believe it was your last talk, uh, and I thought it was great, and I thought it'd be, it'd be good to have you back on to kind of get an update on what's going on with NIM, and then just talk about uh, cryptography and crypto anarchism in, in general. So, yeah, so I mean, I, it, I, I've always had a, a huge respect for the Monero community because I think there's a lot of understanding in the community. This is what I said at the Magical Crypto Conference that, you know, privacy is not, there's no single magic trick that gives, that gives you complete privacy. It's a kind of long running, almost I would say, a battle or war um, where there's different strategies and there's different tactics that you use. For example, you might use ring signatures, you might use ZK snarks on the, on the chain. Uh, confidential transactions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and what we're focused on at NIM is we're focused on the kind of network level. And I'm actually very uh, happy with the Monero community because I think the Monero community is one of the few communities that did call out this problem quite early on with all the work on I2P and Covery. And uh, I've used the Monero wallet. It's one of the few uh, desktop wallets that if you follow enough instructions, you can get working with Tor. And our goal um, as, as a company is basically we're trying to make an, a very, very, even more powerful uh, than Tor, at least for cryptocurrency, um, privacy-enhanced layer on the network level that can then interoperate with, for example, cryptocurrencies like Monero. And even if Monero does some fundamental change, such as an upgrade to Atlantis, we would still support their kind of layer zero privacy. And I think that's really important because it's like, it, you, it's like building, if you're building a house or you're building a castle or anything, you, you need to build it on, on very solid foundations. And it seems like while there's tons of focus on the chain itself, that the actual foundations are the network level, the TCP IP broadcast, the packets themselves, the, the layer zero, as some people call it. And so, you know, that's what we believe is the most useful thing for us to focus on. And it's the most useful thing that we have, I think, to give to the wider community in terms of kind of making real this, this longstanding vision of privacy-enhanced, sovereign, and autonomous uh, digital currency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think... 
Oh, I'm getting a little bit of feedback there. I don't know if it's from your uh, microphone. Oh, might be. Um, I think perhaps let me know if you agree or disagree. Uh, one of the reasons maybe it's it's been not really on the radar as much or perhaps overlooked is because cryptocurrency, what, what's so great about it is the the incentive system that's built into it. So everybody's going out there, they're getting rich, they mine their Bitcoin at basically zero, and now it's worth you know $10,000. Um, so in the midst of that, there's really been no uh, kind of monetization engine of technology for decentralizing things on the network level. But my understanding is NIM is looking into is kind of looking into that solution. And perhaps that's why it's been overlooked to this point in terms yeah, of th there's a lot of really interesting uh, cypherpunk history here. So. You know, it's been a long-standing dream since uh, David Chom invented MixNets um, to make sort of network-level privacy a reality. And the closest that we got uh, after there was some early work on MixNets around the cypherpunk mailing list, the cypherpunk remailers, such as MixMinion, MixMaster, but these were all focused on email, and there was no kind of really incentive structure. So what you act, what actually happened? And I think I think this actually happened to Adam back is that he was running this anonymous email remailer. So you would send an email and it would get broadcast anonymously out. But the thing is, if you open up an anonymous node, as Adam discovered, you just get covered with traffic. All sorts of people will start sending anonymous messages out, spam essentially. And this is the 90s. And as part of an attempt to prevent all of the spam and this overload, you know, Adam started working on Hashcash, which is essentially what Bitcoin does for mining, solving these hash puzzles in order to prove that you're expending some energy, some electrical electrical bill, which then would cost something and therefore kind of prevent spam. And then Tor came around immediately after that. Some of the people that were working on Mixmaster, like Nick Mathewson, uh, teamed up with Roger Dingledean and Paul Syverson from the um, U.S. Naval Lab, and they created Tor. And Tor is actually, to be very honest, it's an open source project. It's quite good at what it does, which is it anonymizes the network level. And I've encouraged folks like the Mimblewimble people to use it. I use it when I use the Monero wallet because it's currently the best we have. But there's this huge philosophical difference between what we believe is, is possible and what Tor believes is possible. Tor believes that essentially you shouldn't use incentives on the network level or you shouldn't use incentives at all. That if you use incentives, then what could be considered um, adversarial behavior, dropping packets, not forwarding them, corrupting them, then becomes rational. You might make money by performing, by doing adversarial behavior. So Tor, when it was kind of coming out, about 20 years ago at this point, decided it was going to focus on this altruistic model where everyone would just volunteer and I'm a Tor Relay, I send packets, I get packets from people and I send them onwards and I don't get rewarded at all. I, there's no incentives. I'm not making any money. I just feel good about myself and I'm part of a larger community of other people. And, you know, and that's, and that's actually, I think, what is interesting about Tor is that has shown itself to work to a certain extent. There are currently, you know, 6,000 some Tor nodes, 8,000, somewhere in that space. But if you look at Bitcoin, 
and cryptocurrency, there's, I think, at least conservatively 20 to 30,000 nodes. And if you also, if you start looking at the geographical dispersion of Tor nodes, it's mostly in the developed world. It's traffic coming in from the United States, going over to Germany or in Europe, and then getting shipped back to access Silicon Valley websites inside the United States. And I think what that shows is that altruism works, but it doesn't really favor um, large, a, a huge population. The people who can afford to be altruistic are people in developed countries like the United States or Germany who can give away some server space to help people be free online. And I think we should appreciate those people. They do a wonderful job and they have a lot to lose. Uh, recently, uh, last year or two years ago in Europe, um, the, Germ the Bavarian police raided uh, a friend of ours, Moritz, who was actually working a bit on Mixnets with us, because he was running a Tor uh, services. He's running Tor exit nodes. And so they got his IP address and they said, okay, you're doing some sketchy stuff with Tor, some people using your software for sketchy purposes, so we're going to raid your apartment. So what then Moritz get for running Tor? Well, he, you know, he got a, a legal bill, right? So... And this is good. And some people want to do this and they should do this. But then on the other hand, if you go, if you look at like the wider Bitcoin community, the wider Monero community, you see tons of interest from China, Indonesia, Latin America. Uh, and these are places where, you know, Africa, these are places where people I don't think have enough resources, to be honest, to altruistically, you know, hand over computers. Uh, to be used to anonymize network traffic that they don't know about. But what we've discovered is that if you give people an ability to basically get some monetary reward and to set up an incentive structure which isn't immediately hackable by some adversary, then people get super excited and they are like completely willing to run nodes and, do, and take risk. And then from the money that they get as rewards, they can even pay for those nodes, pay for that software, even pay for some of the legal risk involved. And we think that has a huge potential, which for some reason uh, has never actually been thoroughly looked at. And there's some interesting cryptocurrency projects in the space that have kind of gone this direction. Uh, Loki, for example, based on I2P. Um, Orchid, which is kind of looking at VPNs. Uh, there's a few projects in the space. Um, Hopper, which is this kind of pay-by-hop pay by system. But, you know, we're kind of old cypherpunk kind of people, and we looked at Mixnets. And we looked at Mixnets for a very good reason. Uh, Mixnets historically can handle what's called global passive adversaries. So Tor or VPNs or I2P or any of these systems are great if your enemy can't observe the entire network, it's kind of security by obscurity. If the enemy could only observe maybe the entry points or the exit points, but they can't observe both at the same time, then you're okay. However, as we know from the NSA and we, as we know from chain analysis and you know, these capabilities, it's cheaper and cheaper to record network traffic. There are adversaries that can observe all the nodes in network, all the routers, all the IXPs, the inputs and the outputs of every network transaction. And they can use machine learning, artificial intelligence, 
uh, to do kind of complex statistical correlation attacks to discover patterns of traffic that are the same even if they're coming out of one IP address and going into another. And in order to defeat that, you have to do a few things that at least our version of MixNets do, which is you have to hold traffic, delay timing, and if there's not enough traffic in the system, you have to add fake traffic, dummy traffic, or cover traffic to the network. And the thing is, this is, you know, not infeasible, but it's not cheap. It's real infrastructure. You know, a, a mixed node, running a mixed node as, a, as compared to like a Tor Relay or an I2P node is going to be more work. You're going to be dealing with more traffic, creating fake traffic if you don't have enough traffic, delaying traffic. And, and we think that this is actually a perfect opportunity to try out an incentive system. Because I think what Tor hasn't really caught up on quite yet, although maybe we're being too... Um, I mean, yeah. Tor didn't really have that option at the time, obviously, as well. I mean, Bitcoin wasn't invented yet. Uh, I mean, exactly. what, what would the incentive system even have been? Exactly. And also with Tor is they've already created, even today, they can't just switch over to a Tor coin uh, because uh, effectively they've already built this community around this altruistic um, way of shipping traffic around and this whole technical design. But if we're going to have an alternative design for message-based traffic that's really focused on sending lots of fake traffic around and timing delays, this is a perfect opportunity for us to take all of those lessons that we've learned from Bitcoin, Monero, uh, Zcash, Ethereum, all of these lessons around incentive structures and really try to apply them to this really outstanding problem. That affects every single cryptocurrency and not just cryptocurrencies, but actually every single network application, which is how can we defend the network level against mass surveillance? So I think it's a great fit. Uh, we've been working on it really hard. Uh, we have a longstanding good relationship, I would say, with Roger from Tor and a lot of people from the Tor project. Um, and I, and they are you know willing to put up with us. Uh, and uh, we so are, they, are they involved in the project? I mean, we ask for advice. So, for example, when we were doing our economics, trying to understand how much we had to pay servers, we would ask uh, Roger from Tor, the founder of Tor, how much it, he thinks it costs to pay for servers in different jurisdictions. And a lot of the research that uh, people from the Tor community have done, we're kind of repurposing in a mixed net framework. So, for example, recently, Ian Goldberg, uh, a famous cypherpunk professor behind off-the-record messaging, invented a new technique where the network map, the topology of the entire network, no matter how big the network gets, can be kind of downloaded in constant time. Uh, with, sorry, not constant time, constant size. And uh, we, we hung out in two or three weeks ago, and we were going to use the same technique in our software. So I think that there is a, a lot to learn from. And, um, you know, in Tor and MixNets and ITP, they're on some level a bit complementary, insofar as what Tor is specialized at uh, and what VPNs are kind of specialized for, but Tor is to a large extent better, um, is that they're good at streaming traffic that's TCPI-based traffic for like web browsing. So if your entire JavaScript applet doesn't download, you got to do this kind of SYN act, this acknowledgement SYN receive, so you get your entire JavaScript package, and then you can run the web page. And this is what it's going to be very hard to beat 
Tor ad. However, cryptocurrency traffic is message based. There's a message that, you know, a broadcast is going to chain uh, these. It's currently TCIP, but a lot of the stuff also on UDP is very message based. If the traffic doesn't get through, you just let it drop and you just resend. You don't have to have this kind of send, sender and acknowledgement back and forth that you typically see with TCPIP. Uh, and this kind of traffic, cryptocurrency traffic, Tor doesn't even want. If you ask people from Tor project, they're like, you know, this actually doesn't really fit our threat model really well. It's not the kind of traffic we were designed to send. And so they're actually quite happy that we as another project, as NIM, are going to work on this kind of traffic and blend this with the other kinds of traffic that isn't really web browsing, but is nonetheless important kinds of traffic. So Yeah, that, very important. So you have not only you have cryptocurrency, but you also have, for example, um, instant messaging. For example, one of the first people to look at our project was uh, Moxie from Signal. Uh, you have, for example, um, any kind of traffic where, you, like, even video, voice IP, audio IP that's very lossy, where you can just lose a lot of packets. This actually could work, perhaps, under a mixed net model. And we really want our MixNet to support different kinds of traffic because if our MixNet was only used by Monero people, we love Monero, but there's probably not enough users and we don't want everyone, we don't want using NIM plus Monero to be a sort of giant uh, sign that, oh, look, they might be doing something a bit dodgy. We would like as many different kinds of people using the, the software as possible. That's a lesson we've learned from Tor. So we really want signal. We really want status. We really want uh, any kinds of messaging apps, WhatsApp, Telegram. We don't care. We would like all of these kinds of messaging apps, which maybe there's not really good money in these apps. It's very hard to monetize them. But by virtue of sending traffic through our network, it would provide cover traffic and a larger set of people using our system, a larger anonymity set, a bigger crowd for all the people who were using Monero or other cryptocurrencies. So we're that's on some level why we're a very we're trying to build a very open-ended and generic system because we don't think we can even predict the kinds of applications, the kinds of users that we really want very high network level privacy against really powerful adversaries. But the more of them that get together, the better for us. And also the better for the nodes, uh, the more money, cryptocurrency, the people who actually run the NIM mixed nodes would make the more traffic that comes through. So just, just for general understanding, so it's it sounds like the, the initial use case would be for things like we're saying uh, broadcasting Monero transactions or uh, sending uh, uh, instant messages. But then does NIM have the ability to then scale to become like a Tor and handle general P2P traffic? Is that then po become possible? Because it sounds like initially that's not possible, right? Yeah. So there, there's, I think, NIM in the long run uh, could definitely, well, in the short run, it can, it can handle normal peer-to-peer -peer traffic, the kinds that you would use, for example, with BitTorrent. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of, but of course. I think the, the, the question is the kinds of traffic that come along with, for example, video streaming, where, it's, where you really expect the video stream to actually be pretty lossless. Uh, this or he heavy JavaScript web pages, this will be more difficult. And the reason is is pretty simple. Uh, one of the ways that we provide anonymity on a very high level, higher than Tor, is we use this packet format 
called the Sphinx packet format. It's a kind of authenticated uh, packet format. So you kind of hop by hop, kind of peel off the layers of where the next hop is, but that the body itself is encrypted using what's called a wide block cipher. It's a very nice uh, packet format. It's also used by Lightning Network. But one of the difficulties with this packet format is even though every time you use the packet, in between each hop, it's unlinkable to the previous hop, unlike Tor, it achieves that unlinkability due to using an asymmetric crypto. So an asymmetric crypto, as we all know, is a little bit slower. So I think we can definitely scale to handle anything uh, where you have a few seconds um, delay is okay, but really want to get it down to a few milliseconds, it'd be very hard to support as many asymmetric crypto operations as Sphinx currently has. You'd have to move more into the symmetric space. Uh, but, you know, you might sacrifice possibly a little bit of privacy for higher speed. That's an open research problem we're working on. We're working on it with some of the good people from Brave and other projects. Um, the most important thing, though, to remember about a mixnet is that we do have this one really nice advantage in terms of scaling, which is that if there's very few people sending cryptocurrency transactions over a mixnet, how do you disguise them? How do you give them a, high, a larger amount of privacy? Particularly if they don't maybe send transactions that often. Well, you have to make a lot of dummy traffic, a lot of fake traffic between nodes. And now, this, great, this is just for you're talking about for the early days of NIM and in order exactly. to, to create the anonymity set, anonymity set. Yeah, because you might not have that many users, so you really got to work pretty hard to make them actually anonymous. But the more users you get, the more people that are actually mixing together, the less dummy traffic you have to produce. So interestingly enough, the network scales really well. It actually you get better privacy and faster, generally, uh, latency, um, the more people use the network. So that's, I think, a really big advantage we have. And, you know, we're trying to develop a system where we can, every kind of epoch or period of time with our, our network, we say, so, yeah, and, and like, let's look at, if you think, if, this is actually a very good exercise. If you, th if you look at Bitcoin, what do you really, why do you have this difficulty level, this threshold? That you, you know, the hashing power trying to keep up with the threshold. This, the number of zeros in your puzzle. And this threshold is there uh, because you really want a block to be kind of mined every in 10 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. um, and we're kind of the same. We would like every packet that comes into our network to have a minimum anonymity set. Maybe let's say it has to be anonymous among 10,000 other possible users. And then we also have, we can kind of each, each round, we see how much traffic's coming in. We have to see how much mixing we have to do to produce this anonymity set. And for this anonymity set, uh, which we measure using entropy, we can then kind of fine tune the network every period of time. We can say, oh, well, we really want everyone to have to be an anonymous between 10,000 other users, but we only have 9,000 in our anonymity set for this round. So we need, to, we need to change the network a bit to add, uh, you know, basically we can say we want to add some more cover traffic, slow the, slow the traffic down to try to increase the anonymity. Now, if we have too much traffic coming in, 
we can say, great, where everyone is, maybe they're anonymous in a set of 20,000 or 100,000, but the network's slowing down. It can't, doesn't have enough capacity to handle all this traffic coming in. So then we have to add new nodes to the network to handle this traffic. And of course, because we're a decentralized system, we don't run those nodes ourselves. We say the, just as you have in Bitcoin mining, you have a kind of a block reward, right? So we have what we call a mixed mining reward. And this mixed mining reward, which is a bit like a mining reward, but it's based on mixing rather than mining, increases if the capacity increases and we need more nodes to meet the demand. So we need to basically increase the supply. And then we kind of keep increasing the supply while trying to maintain the anonymity of the entire network, keeping that good for everybody. And so it's kind of a, a balancing act. And what our system is trying to do is, is we basically try to maintain this balance continuously, just like Bitcoin tries to maintain the mining rewards and the block production schedule. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit more exactly, I guess, so, so there's going to be, there'll, there'll be a NIM coin, I guess, right? Because that's going to be the... Yeah, the, I mean, we we are, it's it, we definitely need some measure of accounting to understand uh, the capacity of the system, okay? Uh, there, there's just no way around that. Uh, so if, if you index your capacity to an external whatever currency, then if there's like an attack or inflation of that currency, then you screw your system up. Um, that being said, we're, we're not doing like a staking pr pure proof of stake coin or anything like this, because, um, you know, one thing we really like about Monero and Bitcoin is that there's an external energy source. There's some external thing you're attaching yourself to, and that's really what's giving that some extent value. And so in Bitcoin, it's mining, you know, and uh, NIM, it's mixing. So we basically we, we basically want to really tie the rewards to a concrete action. In terms of uh, a separate coin, to be honest, there's enough cryptocurrencies out there. So we don't uh, currently envision ourselves being used in any kind of digital cash. Uh, like I said, it's a unit of counting for the system. And what we imagine will happen is that people will send whatever they actually already have cash in, such as Monero, for example, through our system, and just as there's a, a small transaction fee that you can increase, you want faster service with Bitcoin, we'll have a small NIM fee, which will be kind of taken off and then used to kind of feed the incentive pool for the mixed nodes. Hmm. And, this okay. is, and this will be indexed to the capacity, which will then be denominated in uh, a NIM coin effectively. So it's- So, it's so the users just, are, so, so the users of, of NIM, will be paying essentially to use the service and that's what will be uh essentially paying that in 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 an ideal case yes um okay. we think we think transaction fees that are very small like you know perhaps you know five basis points 50 basis points are i think understandable for given the high value that privacy provides the transaction um and that's really what we think in the long run will fuel the system that being said, we also understand people don't like paying for things, particularly if the system's new, uh, particularly in those kinds of services that people might, you might not want to pay for, or you might want no one to pay for. For example, let's say you're running a whistleblowing service. You want to enable the next Snowden. Uh, you've set up a whistleblower's account box, 
using a mixed net, using this very, let's say, clever technique called single-use reply box blocks. And you would like to be able to deposit and pick up messages from that, from the sort of mailbox and the mixed net. Realistically, people aren't going to pay for that. Uh, ditto, you know, messaging. Do you really think signal messages messages will be paid per signal message? Probably not. Or telegram messages? I, it's hard to believe. So for this, we have a different model. Uh, and it's like currently, uh, we actually have two different models. In one model, let's say you're a telegram. Telegram would like to enable greater privacy for its users. But unlike Monero, it's Telegram's a company. You know, there's this guy who's in charge who has a bank account, probably somewhere in the Caymans. And um, what he can do is he can basically purchase amount, an amount of capacity and lock it and say, I've paid for this and this is free for anyone that uses my service. So he basically locks up a certain amount of capacity for his service. And that's, I think, reasonable, right? He may not be able to get his users to pay, but it might be worthwhile for him to pay or his company to pay for using that service. That being said, a lot of people, if you think at the, if you look at the whistleblowing use case, you look at these sort of nonprofit use cases, uh, people, they don't want to pay. They may not have the ability to pay. And so this is where um, we really want to reward people for essentially using the system and participating. And one way we can do that is we can say, well, if you have some tokens, you can, of course, delegate it into someone else. And you can lock them up as well. And if you lock them up, then you're saying, I'm dedicated to the system. I'm locking these up. And this gives you some free bandwidth as well. So, you know, I, I have some tokens, maybe, you know, let's say the Electronic Freedom Frontier Foundation wants to support, uh, you know, mix that Dropbox 2.0, which isn't really a, a cryptocurrency service, but something, you know, to use for whistleblowers. And so the Electronic Freedom Frontier Foundation uh, would just essentially um, get a large amount of tokens, possibly donated which is indexed a certain amount of capacity in the network and lock those up. And just by virtue of locking those up and not, you know, dumping them on some whatever, you know, trying to throw them around, uh, they would get a certain amount of free capacity every sort of epoch or month. And that's, and so I think we can support all three kinds of use cases, uh, use cases where, there's some really pay-to-play service where they really want, you know, users may not pay, but the service really wants privacy. Uh, we could support kind of more nonprofit use cases where we don't expect anyone to pay, but they can invest enough in the system, particularly early on, and then hold those tokens and keep getting free service. And cryptocurrency use cases, use cases which are high value enough where you might want to pay just a little bit to make that, uh, make that, make that uh, transaction private. Yeah, cryptocurrencies seem like the the perfect early adopter. So where where is Nim currently at? What, so current currently we're uh, we we basically you can go to our, our GitHub repo. Uh, we're currently in Go. Um, we have all of our repos in Go, and they work. We have an alpha test net. You can actually send cryptocurrency transactions in it. Uh, you can basically in order to kind of um, access the network you can basically we have a kind of token faucet you can use to get free tokens and 
convert them to credentials, or you can just use the mix net. Right now, we keep it open. And currently, uh, we're running our own kind of private test net, and we're opening a more public-facing one. It's still very alpha um, at the Chaos Computer Congress in Germany in December. We'll be demoing the demoing it there. We have a lot of very interesting uh, community members, including some Monero community members uh, who have decided to help us run mix nodes. And uh, we will hopefully produce some sort of test blocks um, and see if the network can hold traffic. But what we've discovered, and we do, we do want the community to know this, is that we've done, we've done about a year's worth of work and go. And while we do have all the basics working, um, we discovered there was a essentially 10x speed up, sometimes up to 15x speed up, uh, using C++ and Rust, in particular Rust around the crypto. So we will be migrating all the components to Rust, and I think we'll do another testnet release probably in a few months with a pure Rust testnet. Okay. So when when do you see it actually being uh, used, like mainnet, uh, cryptocurrencies actually starting to use it to broadcast transactions? Is that in the oh, near future? Oh, definitely next year. Definitely next year. Um, no. Yeah, definitely next year. Uh, we've already made, you know, like I said, we we got all the we did all the conceptual work this year. We got essentially a Go proof of concept out the out the door. We've got community interest in running nodes, uh, but now we really want to kind of speed it up, optimize it, really make it an kind of you know real world software. And I I would see us pushing us out by sometime between uh, I would say another test net in the spring, and then hopefully mainnet. Uh, over the summer into the fall would be our ideal, uh, the ideal schedule. Things may fall a season or so behind, but I, I don't really see them falling behind 2020. Have our you team been had some really kind of uh, monster coders on it? So, have you been communicating with the Monero community at all, particularly uh, folks like Lee Claggett that's working on, you know, kind of trying to integrate these solutions uh, on the network level? We need to communicate better. We've mostly been talking to uh, Josh, uh, who gave a talk on network level anemone at MoneraCon last year. Um, he's been following our work pretty closely. And um, Zach Hamilton, who's working on Monero a bit. But yeah, we should definitely talk more to Lee. I mean, we were, to be honest, you know, we're not um, diehard members of the Monero community. We're, 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 we're network level privacy kinds of people, researchers. That's what we're focused on. So we... Um, we're still kind of understanding the community. We, get, we actually got a bit, you know, we're like, what's Covery? What's, where are they with I2P? I use Monero Wallet. I use with Tor. When are they going to support I2P? We're still trying to understand kind of how the Monero community approaches um, network level and MB. But, you know, we don't, we don't tell people, oh, don't use something else. Use us. When the Mimblewimble guys approached us and I said, look, you guys definitely need a network level anatomy because they have this interactive step in their protocol, unlike Monero. Uh, you know, we recommended you need something right now, guys. So don't wait six months. Use Tor now. <laughs> That's uh, literally what I told Daniel and other folks from uh, Mimblewimble. And so I don't I, – I, I think the same with Monero. Monero should try out as many things as possible. And uh, trust us, we'll, we'll definitely want to get in touch with you and other folks when we're ready. And uh, we hope you can try us as well. And uh, we hope we can build a, a really strong community because the crazy thing with cryptocurrency, which I've always found really shocking, is we really still to this day 
it's kind of amazing. When you talk to people, um, and my good friend Amir Taki brings this up constantly. Um, when you talk to Monero uh, people, they really get the, the the vision of cryptocurrency. You go to some other communities and people are like, oh, we're here to build, you know, I don't know, decentralized finance products. So we're here to build, I don't know, you know, we're going we're gonna to do a DAO. It's, it's all very nice stuff. I mean, it, it may have uses, but... You know, fact of the matter is we still don't have a decentralized marketplace and privacy-enhanced cryptocurrencies. And these are like basic requirements that were very clear that we need to have a currency that is not supported and is not you know does does not require a nation state or bank, and it needs to maintain the, the fundamental privacy of, of of the sovereign user. And until we have that. You know, I, I honestly think it's 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 better to focus on that vision and work on that on that rather than all the other crazy things we see people work on. Although we're, we, you know, people can work on whatever they want, but from our perspective, it, it seems a little bit odd that there's actually been less work on privacy um, than, than than you would expect. And then, then we've seen all this interest in in zk snarks. And the many, many follow-ups, uh, and the the math is really cutting edge and nice. Uh, we're, we're not gonna we we completely agree that there's fundamentally wonderful cryptographic research being made there, but people get incredibly confused about privacy. Privacy is not there is no magic silver silver bullet. There will be no you know. When I was at MIT, I, I was shared an office with Medars who, who wrote the original LibSnarks, you know, uh, the, the the thing which Zcash used originally for for zk snarks, and 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 none of this is um, none of this is perfect. It's always going to keep evolving, but privacy is fundamentally a, a holistic property of a system. It involves not just what's on chain; it involves. Uh, the network level, it involves a user interface, it involves what the applications, for example, the marketplace are sending back and forth. Uh, how, it, it's a huge problem and it's not impossible to solve, but it, it requires a kind of larger viewpoint and more nuanced thinking than a kind of, I don't know, um, a fetish to just really make a fetish out of like a particular new mathematical construct hmm. because these come out constantly. Yeah, I mean, what, one common thesis on this show is always that, uh, you know, the idea that the, the crypto that best lives up to the ideals of crypto anarchy is probably the cryptocurrency that you should most be paying attention to. Um, you know, the one that's really trying to live up to those ideals. Uh, I, I see really for two reasons. One, because, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what this tech was invented for. Uh, to be digital cash, at least that's my belief. And two, uh, I believe that's that's really what the value proposition of the tech is. So, if if you're if you're striving to achieve those goals, uh, then you're striving to build a product that this stuff was actually invented to do. Uh, so that's kind of a constant theme uh, on this show. So, do you? I guess question being, do you agree with that? And if so, which one do you, which cryptocurrency do you think is doing the best job at that, at kind of living up to those ideals? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm not interested in blockchain for uh, supply chain management or, uh, you know, blockchain for diamond backed assets or something. That's ridiculous. I'm interested in privacy enhanced 
decentralized digital cash. That's the vision that existed before Satoshi Nakamoto, and that's the vision that will continue to exist, and we have to build a software that makes that a reality. In terms of the actual existing cryptocurrencies, the only privacy-enhanced cryptocurrency I've ever actually used to do real transactions has been Monero. So for example, um, this is actually a great, a great use case. You know, recently um, in Iraq, there was lots of protests against the government. Um, I had a lot of friends there, you know, we were communicating and they were, the government was successfully blocking Tor. You know, they were, Tor couldn't just keep on, because possibly due to lack of incentive structure, couldn't just keep throwing up new nodes. They were being blocked very effectively. Um, and we needed to basically build these kind of censorship resistant VPN tunnels to get people, uh, these protesters against the kind of corrupt Iraqi regimes, they could communicate to the outside world because people were being shot. The video wasn't getting out. Very, uh, very, very, very uh, hard situation on the ground by some very brave young people. And, you know, uh, there's very few places in, that uh, will let you get uh, a server, let you buy server space anonymously. But you have great people like Peter Sunda from the Pirate Bay has a startup called N Najala some crazy maybe uh, Danish or Scandinavian word of some sort. But, you know, you could use Monero to buy these VPN services. And I gave some tutorials to friends there about, you know, and it was a pain. I mean, it was, I mean, I love Monero, but trust Monero desktop wallet, getting it working with Tor and then actually like downloading the chain and like, you know, doing, I mean, every people could do it. Um, and it worked, and they were able to buy VPN servers that they could then use to get data out of Iraq. Uh, that being said, it was hard, but also to very much to Monero's credit in terms of the ideal, but also in terms of the code, it was the only privacy-enhanced cryptocurrency that anyone could actually buy anything with, including server space. And I think that that's, I mean... That's been my experience, and I think I think I also uh, so that I do think that the kind of crypto anarchist roots of Monero, uh, I think, have a lot going for them, and I think a lot of other large projects, um, Ethereum, for example, I definitely would call out on this one, have run a real danger of losing track of the actual uh, kind of cipher anarchist vision, you know, or a lot of people just oh, I'm just going to build a blockchain for a bank or a blockchain for a nation state or a blockchain for Facebook, you know, and, and these people, they're, they're, they're losing the original motivation and vision. And it is, it is, it is shocking because the amount of money, which has been wasted, the amount of talent, which is, I think been wasted pursuing uh, these other projects when the very basic bread and butter issues aren't solved is a, uh, is astounding. That being said, uh, we still have a lot of resources as an active growing community. And as more and more people come online, and I don't think internet censorship is going to go down. I don't think bank collapse is going to go down. I would be shocked if there wasn't a major sovereign bank crisis in 2020. I would be shocked if internet censorship just didn't go up like this. And so this is where, you know, censorship resistant, peer to peer, decentralized digital cash which is privacy enhanced because surveillance capabilities are also going up like this is going to be much more a matter of life and death in the future. I think we can even imagine today from where we stand. 
and the future may be coming at us much quicker than we expect. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard in one of your talks, uh, you described it very well, talking about the early days of the internet. Uh, obviously, you're an expert in this field. Um, and the, the concept you were expressing was basically uh, that, you know, in the early days of the internet, there was kind of this crossroads where we could have became more privacy preserving and building the technology into the protocols at the time. Um, but that didn't happen for, for various reasons. And now I feel like we're, we're at that crossroads again. So we, we've, you know, Bitcoin has been invented. Um, it's great, but it's, it seemed, I, in my opinion, is lacking uh, some of the fundamentals of what we need it to be. And we're kind of at this crossroads where uh, we need to decide which protocol is really going to be the value transfer protocol for the future. And, you know, it's like right back the early days of the internet where the right choice needs to be made uh, so that we make sure the, the one that wins, the one that gets the network effect, or at least it's it's up there and it's not forgotten that it, that uh, we create, uh, you know, uh, you know, implement a protocol that will have those privacy features built into it. And like we're at that crossroads right now. I mean, so. Do you agree with that? And are yeah, do you think I mean, you're going to make the right choice here? We have we have too many protocols for on-chain transactions. By on-chain, I mean Zcash, Monero, Zcoin, uh, you know, Bitcoin. I love Bitcoin, but I'm still waiting for Schnorr signatures. You know, and and all this stuff. And we we don't and we have very little work on the network level. And at some point, people need to stop fighting, I think, about what's happening on chain, make some concrete protocol choices. I would honestly, you know, really kind of, you, you, need, to, you need to standardize the minimal possible standards for privacy enhanced digital cash and really stick to that. And then build the ecosystem out around it, which is I think where we're, we're really lacking. So I used to work for the W3C on web standards and with the web, it's like people didn't standardize, oh, this everything. They didn't standardize, you know, how to buy things online really. That was one of the reasons why we have Bitcoin. But they did standardize HTTP URLs like www.example.org or Monero talk. Uh, and, they, and they did standardize HTML. And this kind of minimal standardization level led to this huge explosion of innovation once people agreed enough that the different kind of silos could talk to each other. And there's a lot of work on interchain communication. Um, maybe it'll pan out, maybe it won't. Um, that being said, uh, I, I think I would like to see people really focus on the actual ecosystem, just make some hard decisions on the protocol level. Mm -hmm. um, the protocols should evolve, but they should evolve once they're standardized and accepted more slowly than the rest of the comp other components. Uh, and um, then this entire ecosystem, you know, the ability to create things like uh, censorship resistant, privacy enhanced messaging apps, uh, you know, privacy enhanced marketplaces, you know, things that really uh, users can actually really understand and want and, and use. Uh, I think we'll, we'll really build the core of the next internet. Um, and I do think that core will have a large amount of, of blockchain technology in it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, 
I think the initial internet at this point uh, has gone really off the rails. I mean, you've seen it with everything from DRM and the web, where the web is now constantly more and more pay-to-play, a few big monopolies running everything. Uh, you see it with the initial the historical internet governance bodies, um, like ICANN selling off the .org to some firm for a billion dollars. And, you know, we need these decentralized replacements um, for digital cash and a few other core components working really fast. Because otherwise, uh, I, I don't think we can really expect the, the rest of the core to survive much longer. Um, and that's a danger because we need the Internet to survive at this point, as both as individuals and kind of as a species. Um, I would like to mention, I mean, the, the Jack Dorsey tweet you mentioned earlier is interesting. I, 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 it's one of the it's sort of a wake-up call that uh, – uh, a website as powerful as Twitter is is seriously engaging in decentralization. And I I used to work on decentralized social media uh, before getting involved in cryptocurrency. You know, we even we're trying to get Google to, we're talking to Twitter. I, I actually recruited Twitter to the W3C to work on this, and they didn't end up sending anyone. And the problem we had with the traditional web standards bodies is even though they were open to a large extent, uh, and people could get involved, in order to actually make real changes, you basically had to beg Google for permission. You say, oh, Google, will you just do this to the browser, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, will you, for example, use the new, you know, enable curve 25519 and TLS? And maybe Microsoft won't, but maybe Google will. There's only a few browser vendors that really controlled the user experience on the web and also controlled the kind of fundamental building blocks that people could innovate with. And, um, you know, at a certain point I said, well, look, you know, why am I working here? If I was really wanting to work on, you know, DRM for Netflix, I would just work for Netflix or work for Google and get paid more. Um, and there's nothing exciting that could be done. But with the blockchain space, it's still wide open. And it was really interesting, Jack Dorsey, because Jack Dorsey, um, I think, is historically a bit of an anarchist. At least he was a bike messenger before he got hired to uh, Twitter by my old friend Evan. And uh, his, the early versions of Twitter actually did support a level of decentralization. And you could ask uh, Blaine Cook, uh, first CTO of Twitter, who's a good friend, uh, about this, that it supported a sort of XMPP-based decentralization. Decentralization uses this kind of old-fashioned XML-based format. But the problem with these kinds of formats, and these are also the kinds of formats that I tried to start standardizing at W3C, leading to stuff like uh, ActivityPub, which then led to Mastodon and these other federated services, is the problem with these kinds of approaches that they don't have strong cryptography and they don't have true decentralization. So their mental model is still, oh, everyone runs their own server. And I run a server. You know, I, I run a few, uh, but I don't expect most people to run a server. Um, that being said, and if I'm not running my own server, why would I trust you on another server with my data? So a lot of these early attempts to decentralize the web failed, I think, because they were very, I would say, too focused on the server side and on this federation landscape. 
And the engineers were never really, I think, serious about actually solving the problems. But Jack Dorsey is interesting because Jack Dorsey seems to be pointing to a real kind of uh, using strong cryptography, using some kind of blockchain, and actually decentralizing Twitter. And if he's actually planning on doing that, I think he might be deep in his heart, enough of a crypto anarchist to pull it off. I would be super, super pleased to support that effort. It's a real, these ideas which are very fringe are now really going mainstream. Do you you think he really is a crypto anarchist at at heart? I've never met him. I've met most other people from early Twitter. And um, I think he, like I said, from what I've heard, he's, He's deep down, I think he's still a bit of a punk rocker, let's say. Maybe not a, a hardcore crypto anarchist, but um, – and I think it's a great sign that he's, yeah. he's up for this. Definitely. Yeah, I, w- I want to push you on that on that a little bit more. So like I said, in the early days of the internet, we were at that crossroads. So do, do you think there, there possibly is um, – you know? pushing the Bitcoin agenda, is it, is it potentially irresponsible given that where Bitcoin currently is at? I mean, it's it's currently ossifying as a protocol that doesn't have privacy built into it. I feel like it's kind of a, a replay of the early days of the internet here. And we have uh, people that are, are out there saying, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's great. We all have to use Bitcoin. But is it pushing us potentially in the wrong direction? Uh, mm-hmm. And we should really be focusing more on projects like Monero or trying to turn Bitcoin into Monero, if that is at all possible at this stage. I mean, I have a lot of respect in particular for Adam Back and Blockstream. And we've been trying to engage the Lightning community about using mixed nets, and they've been very receptive. So I don't think it's it's game over for Bitcoin. Uh, that being said, like I said earlier, I've been waiting for Schnorr signatures for a very, very long time. So at some point, you know... Folks really have to deliver this next generation privacy level on top of Bitcoin, or it will be another cryptocurrency that will do it. And I would say that the Monero community is one of the most active communities and has probably, the, I would say, the best chance of any other privacy enhanced cryptocurrency of pulling it off. Uh, I do think currently the, the momentum uh, and the money is in Bitcoin, but the development, I don't, I, it, it's, it's the problem is when you release something. You, you you can't it's it's very hard to change it once it's really in the wild and decentralized system. This is kind of a negative side effect, and so I think what the Monero community, even though to a lot of maybe you know people it seems very you know hackery, but ke- by keeping iterating the fundamental design rapidly, being very open in new designs, I still think has a lot of promise because that shows it's still very flexible. Like it's a young tree that you can still bend. And so I do think that, you know, if Blockstream can pull it off, there will, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount Bitcoin possibly becoming a giant, you know, privacy enhanced, um, privacy enhanced cryptocurrency, but it is really hard. And so I think the fundamental question is actually, it's not really Bitcoin versus Monero, but assuming that Bitcoin can never really pull off privacy except maybe as a side chain or whatnot, uh, do we see the world big enough for, really two cryptocurrencies one which is a transparent one and transparency has a lot of value we some a lot of transactions we want transparency in we uh you know transparency for the powerful and privacy for the weak uh privacy for the rest of us those of us, us who aren't you know a king or a government or a uh, part of the one percent so to speak and uh, maybe 
maybe Monero will be that privacy enhanced cryptocurrency. I would say of all the privacy enhanced cryptocurrencies I've seen, it's the one with the most active user community, the one I've actually seen accepted, and the one that ones that software actually works. And that's that's really nice. Um, and and uh, it's still young enough. The community is still flexible enough that it's, it's, it doesn't seem rigid to me. Um, there's not, I mean. Hello. Oh, did we lose him? All right, hopefully he comes back. All right, hang on, guys. I think I'm still on, but we lost him. I'm going to refresh for a second. All right, hopefully we get Harry back. Had a few more questions here. Apologies, the internet died. All right, you're back. I thought we lost you. Yeah, no, the internet died. But uh, yeah, what I was saying is, you know, I, I haven't seen too much cult-like behavior inside Monero, so I think that's a good sign. I think I had... Uh, heard you mention meeting with Julian Assange at, at, at one point, or I don't know if you've had various meetings with him, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about that and whether or not, were there, were there any conversations regarding, I'm sure there were, regarding Bitcoin and, and things like Monero? I, I've read some of his, uh, I forget the name of the book that I had read of his, that basically it was an interview of him and a few other crypto anarchists. And it, it really opened my eyes at the time. Uh, to what the true value proposition of this stuff was. And they talked quite a bit about uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I believe the interviews took place in like 2010. And they talked about even then um, the realization that it certainly is not private enough. Um, but yeah, I would just be curious, did you ever have conversations with him uh, regarding these issues? Yeah, so... Um... I visited Assange a few times in the Ecuadorian embassy. Um, I consider him a friend. He's a very, um, I would say, the, if you haven't, if you've only seen sort of media reports on him, what doesn't really come across very well is how genuinely warm and funny and, and, and very um, intelligent and considerate he actually is as, as a human. Um, and he definitely was... Uh, we definitely discuss cryptocurrency. Um, I think people underestimate how absolutely isolated he felt and that he was very, I think he felt very abandoned a lot, particularly over the last few years. And I would say to him, I said, Assange, you really should engage 
the cryptocurrency community more because they haven't forgotten about you. Uh, they haven't stabbed you in the back like some of your former friends. And, um, you know, they, they have a lot of the same ideals of you. And then what I said is you also remember that this is really a, a world historical turning point with the advent of, of, of cryptocurrency coming as sort of huge phenomenon. Even though it seems crazy and was the large extent crazy, the ICO buzz brought in tons of money of which some can be converted into political power, into the hands of essentially, you know, cypherpunks. And that hasn't happened before. That's a, a real game changer. And the other real game changer is that you have hundreds, thousands, you know, tens of thousands, maybe even, you know, hundreds of thousands of young people online dealing with cryptocurrency, learning about cryptography. And this is a new generation of hackers that has tremendous technical power and enough technical power uh, that they really can uh, change the world. And that's what I think Assange was most interested in. I mean, in terms of cryptocurrency itself, I don't actually think that, you know, it was really funny. His his lawyers would uh, approach me and they said, well, look, can we do some fundraising among these cryptocurrency people because we're having trouble paying all of his legal bills? And I said, that's impossible. He got so much cryptocurrency in early on. How How is it possible that he's, he, he's spent it all? And I'm sure Assange has money squirreled away in all sorts of weird places. But nonetheless, I think, to be honest, you have to remember he went into the embassy years and years before 2016. And therefore, he probably spent most of his cryptocurrency paying his legal bills in those early days because, you know, the Visa account was blocked. His other sources of money were blocked. And so I, I, I think that... As, uh, Assange and WikiLeaks in general were very interested in cryptocurrency, are still very interested in engaging the cryptocurrency community more, especially because it's now really much, particularly over the next few months, do or die time uh, around the Assange case. And I think Assange, you know, more than anyone else really saw, if you, if you look at this early book, uh, Cypherpunks, uh, where he was discussing kind of... Yes. Freedom, yep. future of the internet. You know, he saw back in 2013, oh, you know, if we could only replace DNS with something more decentralized, something, you know, if we could, if we could, he had a real political and technical vision around the future of, of, of the entire globe. And he, he basically, push comes to shove, people, a lot of people are very critical of him, but he is um, a defender of human freedom who unlike many people who are, you know, keyboard warriors who are more than happy to just tweet about stuff from behind uh, in the safety of their home, really put his own personal well-being at risk to defend his ideals and try to create a system, uh, a technical system which embodied those ideals, which was WikiLeaks. And so I, I think it's very important the cryptocurrency community not abandon him. It's very important that he – it's actually important to realize that he doesn't just have a gazillion dollars of Bitcoin lying around, that his legal support team does need support, and that he is a genuinely uh, – you know, is a human being and should be kept in touch with the what's going on in the crypto community space. I believe on the Support Assange website, you can – they tell you how you can write him letters in Belmarsh Prison. It's very hard to visit him. And I, you know, and I, I think of all the the people, it, he he's not, 
he's definitely not, I would say, dead and gone. He's very much alive, has a decent chance of getting out of prison, even with the latest UK elections. There's a decent chance that if his case goes into like appeals, just like the Lori Love case, another hacker that they're trying to extradite to the United States, and that extradition failed, that you know Assange might have his extradition uh, not accepted by the UK government, and he might be able to become a free man again. And so I think we should support these people because they really are, I think, some of the earlier and clearest thinkers of, of our political vision. And uh, we should continue to evolve their vision. For example, I think, you know, Wiki, it would be wonderful. I'm, I don't uh, have the time or wherewithal to do this, but someone should create, you know, a more decentralized WikiLeaks. That would be wonderful. Or the current WikiLeaks software with Assange's blessing could become more decentralized. Uh, th this more resilient against attack. This would be wonderful. And so it's all these things that people can do technically, people can do socially, and uh, we can do to further develop a, a lot of his thinking uh, and a lot of the thinking of the cypherpunk movement. Um, yeah, the situation is quite tragic. Uh, but I, I, I really do think he'll get out, and I, I have a lot of hope in that. He'll either get out or the UK government will drive him to suicide. I think one of these two things will happen. Yeah, I, I encourage any, anyone who hasn't to... Uh... Read that, Read book. that book. I'm getting a little uh, feedback here. The cypherpunk book. It was. Uh, I he he was interviewed in it along with a few other cypherpunks at the time. And yeah, like I said, there was um, some really, uh, as you know, uh, really good discussion about Bitcoin itself and about the the importance of it. Um, basically, uh, what what really stuck out for me was when they when they spoke about you know. Um, uh, mass surveillance is one thing where, you know, if they know, you know, what, you know, if they're surveilling you on Facebook and they know, uh, you know, what your likes are and who your friends are is one thing. But knowing uh, how you spend your money uh, and knowing every transaction is is a whole nother level of potential surveillance um, and the ability to, to control people. And he really kind of opened my eyes to that concept. Uh, and he was talking about Bitcoin at the time. And even then, like I said, the understanding that, well, Bitcoin is great, but it, it may it may lack this feature of privacy, which is critical to what we need to be doing with cryptocurrency. Yeah, the, the name of the book is Cypherpunks, uh, Freedom in the Future of the Internet, which is uh, interviews with him and uh, Jake Applebaum and uh, Jeremy Zimmerman, who I, I saw recently in London. And yeah, it's a great book. It's it's uh, you know Julian to some extent I think comes out most clearly in dialogue. And since the book is effectively a transcript of his dialogues, uh, it's it's worth uh, it's worth reading. Also, when we, uh, Google met WikiLeaks, which is his dialogues with Eric Schmidt and some other folks, is also a quite interesting book. And uh, you know I, I I think with Bitcoin, you know I didn't use it uh, when it first came out uh, precisely because of these privacy problems. Um, it was kind of intuitively obvious that I, you know, my background is not actually in cryptography. My PhD is in machine learning. And, uh, you know, it was kind of intuitively obvious to myself, even back in uh, 2011, even though I feel like a bit of a moron for not investing, uh, that and it was sort of like funny money at the time. I mean, you just send it around. It was, it was, it was valueless almost that, um, that the, the privacy was going to be a big issue uh, for Bitcoin. 
And but that being said, you know, a lot of very good fundamental work has happened. And so I think that the ne the next thing to do is to implement that work and, and put it into production as soon as possible. Um, I mean, the, 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 there is a fundamental tension with privacy and decentralization. Um, and this really goes back, and maybe this is a, a, a very important point to kind of ponder, which is that the, the old cypherpunk uh, motto, which I brought up, was transparency uh, for the powerful and privacy for the weak, which is currently not what we have. Currently, the very powerful, you know, the bank, central banks themselves are effectively unaccountable. People, you know, the, the hyper rich can hide money wherever they want in the world, covered up by lawyers and protected by laws. Um, and so while they're unaccountable, the, the rest of us, the weak, you know, our every single move is monitored by our smartphones, our every email through Gmail, our every like on Facebook. And this is absolutely insane. And I don't want to add that my every financial transaction on Bitcoin is just another data point to be absorbed uh, by another multinational corporation or government and used to monitor and, and possibly even attempt to control me. That's incredibly dangerous. So what, in order to really reverse this dynamic, we need to create privacy-enhanced tools of the week. But the problem is, in order to keep those tools decentralized, it's, there needs to be some measure of uh, transparency. Um, it, it's hard in decentralized systems to keep everything completely private and unknown due to civil attacks, uh, due to the inability to really, you know, in Zcash, figure out the null fire set. All these other issues uh, keep will keep coming up and up. And I think it's more about striking a balance so that people who want absolute privacy, 100% anonymity can have that. And that the people that run the infrastructure are have to be to some extent a bit transparent about how they're running the infrastructure. And so the way I, the way I view is that the users and the users' financial transactions should be private, should be, be able to selectively disclose by themselves to who they choose to disclose it to in a way which, of course, is compliant with whatever set of laws that they choose to comply with. And the people that run the infrastructure should not be able to distinguish or discriminate any of the network traffic that users are sending through the system and that the, the good behavior, the people who are running the infrastructure, should be transparent. And that is the goal, which uh, we'll be able to ship everyone a white paper fairly shortly on, of NIM is. In the NIM system, the, the mixed nodes themselves have to prove that they fairly mix the traffic, that they're not dropping traffic, that they're not discriminating against traffic, that they're sending everyone's network traffic through early, uh, fairly, and that the users themselves can have absolute privacy and then they can selectively disclose to whoever and whatever they want only what they want. And so that you have privacy by design and by default. And that means that the infrastructure operators themselves have to be transparent, but the users get complete privacy. And I think that's the right balance. And that's the balance that uh, we're aiming at. Uh, I think a lot of the Monero community is aiming at. I also think, you know, large, it's sort of the balance that Tor ended up striking 
uh, that WikiLeaks ended up striking. So in WikiLeaks, uh, the leaking system itself tried at least at various points to be as transparent as possible while keeping the leakers anonymous. Uh, and this it's, it's a good pattern. And we just need to see more people use that pattern. Because without transparency, there will always be some kind of corruption with power. No human being can resist that. Uh, and we need cryptographic code to bind human beings to prevent them from gaining too much power over others. Uh, but that being said, we need to respect the fundamental rights and the, of, of ordinary users to have absolute privacy. And that there's, and, you know, if people would say, oh, we can't have privacy, people will do bad things. Maybe they'll, you know, buy something I don't want them to buy. They'll read something I don't think they should be allowed to read. And that being said, it is true. Terrible things can happen due to privacy. But I am a strong believer that the uh, the long arc of history, as you say it, uh, tends towards uh, human progress, towards humans gaining greater freedom. And that, fre that freedom is for the, the greater common good. And that that is something that privacy enhances. I do not see the, the big threat in the next hundred years, the human freedom coming from privacy enhancing technologies, coming from encrypted text messages or coming from privacy enhanced cryptocurrency. I see the great threat to human freedom and to progress and to the ability to live a free life coming from out of control governments, uh, Unaccountable central banks, economic collapses caused by those very same governments and central banks, corrupt multinational corporations who, you know, are plundering the planet and causing tremendous amounts of harm and no one can do anything about it. And this, this, is, this is where I think the real danger comes from. And, and, and thus we have to have these kinds of alternatives to enable people to fight back. It's really there, there's no other alternative right now. We can't trust anyone else do it but ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the story as old as uh, human civilization itself, you know, whenever a new technology is invented, um, there are those that believe it will ultimately be used for, for bad and those that realize that overall, as long as you believe that the, the good in humanity outweighs the evil, that it will be used for, for progress, um, just like the printing press, the internet, uh, the automobile, any other breakthrough technology we've had. And, uh, you know, any something like Bitcoin and Monero, uh, it's very easy to, uh, you know, filter out and point to the potential um, nefarious use cases. Uh, but ultimately, if it's bringing more freedom and liberty to the world, especially in a time when we're all moving into a digital realm, uh, I think it's pretty hard to argue against. Uh, it's kind of like uh, arguing against democracy uh, when we were when we when we first uh, invented that. Is 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 my quick take on that? Yeah, and I think you know we we and our our little uh, the company Nim is based in um, a very small town in Switzerland called Neuchâtel, and it was really fascinating. Um, you know, I went into the local library and there was a sort of exhibit that 
people forget, you know, less than 500 years ago, uh, people who uh, like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, these kind of early philosophers were talking about human freedom, human dignity, that there should be a social contract between uh, the government and the people, that humans are effectively inherently good in that society and the educational system is what causes to a large extent problems. And uh, they were driven from France to Neuchâtel. Neuchâtel actually had to grant Rousseau honorary citizenship. And that there was a huge underground printing press, network of printing presses, uh, that were literally, you know, had to smuggle books from Switzerland into France by basically shipping them across a lake in a boat. And that, you know, that while the printing presses were being destroyed by the monarchs and their, uh, and their army and other places, kind of high up in the Swiss mountains, um, the, 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 uh, the kind of more anarchist print ma- printmakers were still pushing out these pamphlets and disguising them and smuggling them uh, it, to the rest of the world. And I honestly think that's sort of what's happening today in, with crypto anarchy, that as even though the rest of the world uh, outside of the kind of rarefied circles of Monero and Bitcoin and the rest of the cryptocurrency community is engaging in these increasingly uh, difficult political struggles, we have something which is really a value, this, this kind of crypto anarchist thinking that we can, we can help spread uh, and we need to get these thoughts out there and we need to use the power of cryptography to defend ourselves and to keep our and to keep the production of this knowledge, this to a large extent code, uh, going on. Um, and I think, just as you know, I'm sure in the in the you know the kind of very end of the Middle Ages, things were looking very dark to people that believe the printing press could bring good to people that that everyone should be able to have knowledge, to read, to have free thought. And that eventually that this individual free thought would lead to destruction of monarchies and the new forms of democracy. This was a crazy little minority of people who were literally persecuted, had to flee. And, you know, people went to jail, were killed uh, and barely kept their operations running, would run out of money, would be oppressed. And we're going to be in the same situation. But if we continue doing this, I am confident because I don't see any other game plan out there, which makes sense in the current kind of technical and political climate, um, I, I'm pretty confident we'll be able to succeed. And the uh, the best part is we get to print money as we do it. Yes, that is, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, one thing I said that was the genius of, of, um, of cryptocurrency. So if you look at um, previous revolutionary movements, they always had a, a, a problem with money. They had to be funded by some other nation state, either, you know, often the Soviet Union or the United States. They had to rob banks. And, you know, why would you do any of that if you can literally just create your own money uh, out of, not not out of thin air, but out of your own community? It's the community of people that use Monero, that like Monero, that trade in Monero, that really give Monero its value. That's the kind of social basis of Monero, the, fa- the real foundation. And, and that's, Something which has never, I can't think of, has never happened on a global scale before within human history. And that's profoundly heartening, you know, that not only can you basically build the code, but unlike the original kind of free software hackers 
who essentially had to either starve to death or work for a big corporation, people can make enough money by being part of these communities that they don't have to sell out, that they don't have to give up, that they don't, they don't have, they can stay true to their ideals. And this financial power gives us a huge, huge lever, which I think even Assange and many other people didn't quite understand. And we're, we ourselves are only really beginning to understand. Harry, this uh, this conversation has been amazing, so much to the point where uh, I have been able to mention my sponsors. I just want to quickly mention them. Go for it. Yeah, uh, I think Cake... you've gone on too long. So No, this, this is great. Uh, Cake Wallet. Cake Wallet is the premier iOS wallet. Um, if you're looking to get into Monero and you um, own an iPhone, we always recommend Cake uh, cake wallet on this show our other sponsor is xmr.to uh it's the easiest way to seamlessly exchange monero into bitcoin without any kyc aml uh it's xmr.to uh harry i guess yeah we, we've gone quite some time i don't know if, the, if you want to uh mention one last thing the coca coconut credential scheme i know that's something else that's part of this i thought that was an interesting part of the project as well. Uh, is that something you want to quickly uh, mention? Yeah, I'll mention it as well. So, I mean, the, I mean, Coconut, is, it, I think it, it is one implementation. It's a particular uh, anonymous aggregate signature scheme. But I think what's really important for you to remember is that the, the cypherpunks didn't only give us cryptocurrency. There's a lot of focus on other things, mixed nets being one of them. But another being an interesting technology called anonymous authentication credentials. So you see a lot of talk about digital identity nowadays. You know, oh, everyone, everyone have a digital identity. And to be honest, this is, I think, very fascist. It's very dangerous. The people that give us identities are traditionally governments. And, you know, identity, an ID card, a passport, can really be used to track you, to nail you down, to limit the range of things that you're allowed to do. For example, crossing borders. Um, anonymous authentication credentials sort of use cryptography to sort of say, I can prove I'm 18. I can prove I'm American. I can prove I own possession of a key. I can prove that I paid this amount of Monero to someone else. And they can embed this in this kind of compact form. And the real problem with anonymous credentials, particularly those that were put forward by David Chom and many other people early on and followed up in a software like, um, uh, what did brands work on again? Uh, well, Microsoft Passport was even some version of this uh, ages ago. Uh, the real problem with all of this, this kind of software uh, is that it was always centralized, always kind of a centralized manager running these anonymous credentials. And even today, when you look at anonymous credentials being used in the wild, uh, there's a very nice formalism called algebraic max. And that signal has just released a few days ago, the fact that the signal group messaging protocol will use anonymous credentials to kind of manage the group using algebraic max. But these are inherently centralized protocols. Even if the centralized authority doesn't know anything about the data being sent back and forth, it only verifies that's either part of the group or a valid transaction. And they, they may not know the amount or they may not know who sent it to the merchant or whatever, as you saw with like Chamian eCash. 
And anonymous credentials um, are on some level more generic than digital currency and heavily underexplored. And they've been stuck, including the version of anonymous credentials used by Signal uh, and with centralized issuers and centralized verification. So a friend of mine, George Denisis, who was working with NIM, but unfortunately uh, was devour, uh, joined the dark side of the force and went to work for Libra, uh, was working on a new scheme. I was working on with Algebraic Max, and he decided to do this new scheme called Coconut, which we're now making more flexible and changing ourselves as well. And that this scheme is essentially an, a decentralized anonymous authentication credential. So, um, and that's an amazing piece of technology. It's like when I go to a bar in the United States because it's a bit fascist, I have to show someone my ID. And, you know, and they can see not only that I'm over 18, they can see all this other stuff about me. And so anonymous authentication credentials are very cypherpunk insofar as they, they allow you to selectively disclose only to who you want, what you want. So we use them inside NIM uh, to basically be a kind of right of use voucher. So if you've paid for a transaction, the fact, pa fact that you've paid for a transaction or that you're, someone has paid for you or someone has locked up tokens for you, uh, this is shown by an anonymous credential, anonymous authentication credential, which is then verified and issued in a decentralized way. And it's a, it's a very powerful piece of technology that I think uh, is kind of one of the kind of uh, underappreciated gems of the, of the cypherpunk movement. And um, we're picking it up. Uh, we use it in this very special place inside the NIM MixNet as a kind of right-to-use voucher. Uh, where I think Snowden even said this in Web3. It's a kind of a credential that says, you know, I have the right to be here, I've paid, and you don't need to know anything else about me. And we think it's 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 really powerful tech and very flexible, and, and it can eventually be used in lots of other use cases. And uh, even though a lot of the researchers that were working on it are unfortunately now uh, stolen from us by, to Libra, uh, the technology itself should be picked back up by ourselves and hopefully others uh, and explored a lot, I think it makes a lot more sense than these other uh, digital identity schemes I've seen being thrown around, such as uh, Sovereign or W3C D D DIDs, these other schemes, which to me, honestly, seem a bit garbage or nonsense. You don't want to put your identity on a chain. You don't want to put identity documents on a chain. You don't want to put keys on a chain. This is all crazy talk. Uh, it violates privacy. You leak a lot of data. Um, Credentials should be only used and should only be shown to uh, those who need to see them. And we can do all of the identity stuff, which I consider more to be authentication, the sh you know credentialing systems, could probably all be done off-chain, and that can support a number of really useful use cases for things that you really do need to do on-chain, such as uh, maintain the balances in uh, digital cash. So it's a really fabulous technology. There's a, we have a few Medium blog posts on it. Uh, we have a paper coming out, and the coconut paper itself is wonderful and online and available as well. Yeah, that does seem like another um, ingredient or pillar to what to what we need as you know as we move into this uh, digital realm and as we kind of try to opt out of of uh, the nation state, so to speak, and into this new, uh, you know, uh, 
nation of the internet uh you know we have our own currency and then we 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 have our own ability to uh you know uh id each other um do you see there being any other major uh pillars that are necessary obviously also the ability something like nim the ability to have the entire internet itself uh be built in such a way that you can anonymously interact online are there any other missing uh pillars things that 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 need to be worked on um in the crypto anarchist uh, struggle here, what what's, what are some of the other big ones? Well, I mean, uh, like I said, there's there's a whole world of applications that haven't been explored. Um, some very straightforward things, like we don't have any usable markets. You know, uh, we don't have many of the very basics uh, for cryptocurrency and, and nice user friendly apps. But let's also look think back a bit, right? Let's look at the other structures. Uh, on the internet level, NIM is really good at making tech, uh, making traffic anonymous, but we also need mesh networking. We, we need, as we saw in Hong Kong and other places and Iran recently, there's a lot of increasingly internet shutdowns and people need to be able to establish internet autonomously uh, without maybe connection to the larger backbone. And that will require something we still don't have today, which is easy to use uh, an effective mesh networking. And then there's a huge range of applications and technology which no one's working on, which would be needed to replace the nation state. If we wanted to decentralize every bit of the nation state, we'd have to, you know, I've been to places which are war zones and, you know, someone, you do have to repair the roads. Does that require a nation state? No, of course not. But you do need to have uh, the ability to, decentrally plan things, decentrally organize things, and in a decentralized fashion, basically do decision-making in an effective fashion. Um, you have to, we have a lot of, you know, very uh, difficult uh, problems involving, you know, attacks, uh, both uh, not just like computer security, but like physical security, for example, in the future, there will probably be a lot more drone activity, a lot more drone strikes. Uh, you know, how do we deal with these? There's all sorts of really hard technical problems and very basic stuff like the production of food um, that I really think the, um, the open source, decentralized, free software, crypto anarchist movement really could help and and find uh, solutions uh, to these problems. And this is gonna require something that's a bit more serious. I think the ICO uh, hype uh, that of course collapsed, it's gonna require really thinking, thinking a lot of these core technologies that were developed in the context of digital cash and moving them over. Uh, and this will require a lot of communication between you know, crypto anarchists and relatively comfortable places uh, like Europe or the United States with people in South America, people in Venezuela, people in Mexico, uh, people in Kurdistan, uh, people in Iraq, uh, people in uh, Algeria. And, and, and I think we, we, we can build these links in these communities and we can, and you know, there's a billion people on the planet is, is, is you know, a large amount of disenfranchised people become uh, 
uh, more educated, more competent with programming, more technically savvy. And as you see, the, the kind of rulers uh, of the world are currently not particularly good at technology. They barely understand what Bitcoin is, uh, definitely not understand what Monero is. Uh, I think we, we have a fighting chance to develop these kinds of core infrastructure pieces. We're doing NIM because it's the thing that we know how to build. We think we could build better than anyone else. And we've thought about the problem for last ye- for years. And so we feel confident doing that. But then I hope that there's other groups out there who are working on privacy and digital cash, that work on mesh networking, that are working on open source food production, that are working on uh, counter surveillance and, and all these other topics, which I think are actually end up in the large scope of things to be just as, if not more important than what we're working on. All right. We'll leave it at that. Thank you, Harry. That was uh, the entire interview is amazing. Uh, I appreciate all your insights. appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thanks for the invitation. I've I've listened to quite a few Monero Talk uh, interviews in the past. It's it's an honor to to be invited. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, Yeah, hope to have you on again in the future. Uh, We will be broadcasting. You said you're going to the conference in Germany. Um, We're going to have, we're not, I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to have somebody there and we're going to be interviewing uh, people in the Monero space. So that should be fun as well. Maybe uh, maybe we'll catch you there as well. Yeah, we'll have a lot more of the team there and, uh, I, I would love if you want to do interviews with other folks, uh, that would be great. And they can talk about things. You've already, we've already talked enough about NIM, but there'll be a, many other topics and many other cool projects at Chaos Computer uh, Congress. So Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for doing the show. Thank you. Take care. Right. Be in touch. Bye.